Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Here's some really cool news. You may remember Dr. Maya Shankar was a guest on my show this past spring. Well, I'm thrilled to share the news that Maya's podcast, her podcast, was just named Apple Podcasts' Best Show of the Year. A slight change of plans. It's all about understanding the science of change, which you know I'm deeply invested in. And that understanding mixed with a healthy dose of compassion has made the show a perfect antidote for the times we're living in. Maya has interviewed celebrities like Tiffany Haddish and Casey Musgraves, but she's also interviewed real-life inspirations as well, people who have dealt with cancer diagnoses or the loss of a loved one and somehow managed to learn and grow from those hard experiences. I challenge you to listen to an episode and not walk away feeling inspired. You can find a slight change of plans wherever you find your podcasts. Please go do that. And now, here's an episode about helping people change. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 221. Do you have an idea of like what was the inciting moment where you felt like, uh, okay, there's a better way of going about this? I remember talking to this guy and he he seemed more reasonable than some of the other ones that come in. They they amp themselves up to kind of get the confidence to approach me. And um, some, some of the ways they amp themselves up make them seem really aggressive mm-hmm. um, because they're trying to have a power struggle with me and they want to um, kind of win some kind of game. That's Joey Rodman, a science educator who tweets under the handle of at Okie Space Queen. That's O-K-I-E Space Queen over on Twitter. My name is Joey Rodman. I am a science communicator. I own a portable planetarium that I take around to public schools and community events to show people the universe. My primary focus is trying to reach people who do not live near a science museum and do not have access to that kind of interaction with um, science-minded people. I discovered Okie Space Queen after a tweet about their work in Oklahoma went viral. A thread about how Joey uses a portable planetarium to take the stars and the science of astronomy to rural areas, to people who have never been to a planetarium. And over the years, this led to many 
Conversations with Flat Earthers. And um, I remember talking to this guy after a show, and he said, I like that I like that you're willing to just dis- to discuss this with me because I do have some questions that I keep getting shouted down when I ask them. And I said, well, do you, do you want to ask me those questions? And he said, yes, but I just want you to know my motivation is not to trap you. Hmm. I just want to get more information about this. And um, I totally fell for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just like genuinely answered his questions. And um, I started to tell some point in the conversation like there's a point when you realize that they're not interacting in good faith and so I just cut the conversation off but that stuck with me that like what if they are always getting shouted down if you want to see this planetarium go to okiespace.com o-k-i-e space.com it's wonderful it's cool kind of looks like a big igloo that you can take anywhere and as joey says you can bring 2.5 million stars planets and deep space objects displayed in 360 degrees just like the real night sky to anyone and that's what they've been doing and that's where these conversations came from thanks to this work joey has been able to develop a system for interacting with hardcore science deniers that's why i asked joey to come on the show because Among those science deniers, you have conspiracy theorists and you have flat earthers and things like that. And the method that Joey uses to interact with such people after so much experience is one that I found incredibly compelling for several reasons. One, it's on the ground. It's practice, not theory. It's an A-B tested way of avoiding arguing as a way of persuading a science denier and or a conspiracy theorist to question their beliefs and attitudes concerning the conflicting information they may have read and heard and commented on over social media and the internet. Two, it's counterintuitive in the same way many such techniques we've discussed on the show before are counterintuitive, including street epistemology and motivational interviewing and deep canvassing and even the Socratic method. It shares elements with all of these, but it was developed in person through conversations with people who met with Joey face-to-face during this science outreach. And three, like those other techniques, it works so well that it directly challenges the information deficit hypothesis, which we've also discussed many times on the show. But here's a really quick refresher on what that is. So there's a frustration that bubbles up in academia and medicine and journalism and internet arguments over the fact that many people who live in a world of facts, or believe they do, believe that the facts alone should make everyone see things the same way. And most of this frustration that people feel in arguments, or when it comes to delivering messages to a large audience and not getting the results you expect, that frustration comes from the fact that the information we accept without much fuss is full of conclusions that support our beliefs and attitudes and that come from sources we trust. Ideas and opinions that bolster our identities and make our political values seem like the proper values. 
And since we are usually unaware of our own reasoning, our own motivations, when we accept something as a fact, we assume everyone else do the same as if they reasoned in the exact same way that we do. When they don't, it feels like they just need more facts. Most of the time, this idea that facts should speak for themselves comes from people who operate in environments where everyone is playing by the epistemic rules of hunch, hypothesis, test hypothesis by gathering evidence to disconfirm all the incorrect hypotheses, and the output of that epistemology is to treat facts as that which has the most supporting evidence, a current understanding based on the work done so far. In a space like that, facts are subject to change, and all of it contributes to models of the truth which themselves evolve through adding new evidence when it becomes available and updating the model when new tools and new evidence suggests we should. And sometimes, starting all over when the evidence calls into question or the new tools creates new kinds of evidence that suggests our previous assumptions are off-base, incomplete, and maybe completely incorrect. So, If you trust institutions that work like that, or if that's how you engage with information, the solution to dealing with misconceptions, misinformation, fake news, conspiracy theories, and so on has long been assumed to be just dump into people's laps as much info as possible from the sources you trust, and hopefully it will show them how ignorant they are. And then those people will learn the facts and everything will sort itself out, no problem. The 19th century rationalist philosophers said you could do this through public education. Later, the solution was thought to be public libraries. Then it was newspapers and educational films, then news programs, then public access television. And then much later, cyberpunks preached that personal computers and then later the internet and then social media would accomplish all of this by bypassing the information gatekeepers and allowing everyone to go to the sources on their own. Yet, when controversial research findings on everything from the theory of evolution to the dangers of leaded gasoline to climate change to vaccines failed to convince the public, science communicators wondered how to best tweak the information deficit models so the facts could speak for themselves. But once independent websites and social media, then podcasts and YouTube began to speak for the facts, it became clear that outside of good faith, scientific method-based peer-reviewed environments, there must be an alternative to arguing at the level of conclusions. And we have talked about this many times on the show in many episodes. It's the difference between topic rebuttal and technique rebuttal. Topic rebuttal is all about debating using vetted facts, research, methodology, the entire body of literature on the subject at hand. But technique rebuttal is about putting the facts aside for a moment and exploring a person's epistemology, helping them see the method by which they've arrived at their confidence or lack thereof, and allowing them on their own, with some help, to reflect on whether that method has some issues. In speaking with Joey Rodman about their interactions with science deniers in rural Oklahoma, I saw a lot of technique rebuttal and the results it can deliver. What if they're always um, feeling like every interaction that they have 
with someone outside of their community is a chance that they're going to be humiliated. If I felt that way, if I felt like every planetarium show I had was 50-50 chance I'm going to be humiliated in front of everyone, I would stop doing them. That would be intimidating to me. And so I started to think like, how can I make people feel like I'm not going to humiliate them? Because I feel like if you can really talk to people and you can start to read between the lines and understand their motivations for why they want to believe the earth is flat, you can get a lot further in that conversation when you start to deconstruct, like, really, who is this individual and what are they trying to gain from this? And I've seen more success when I try to treat them all individually. I try to treat them with um, an amount of respect that I would have for anyone who came to ask me a question. And it really is true sometimes that respect given is respect gotten. Um, but there are people that want to come in and take over the show. They want a platform to say their ideas. And so it's a really kind of sketchy travel where you're treating people like they're interacting in good faith right up until you know they're not. And that's just experience and trying to figure out where that line is. And after this short commercial break, you'll hear all about Joey's technique and how they found where that line is and then developed a way of communicating. The science deniers, conspiracy theorists, and others, which I think you can learn a lot from and apply in your own life. Right after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people. I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns. And I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before. And this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If our time was unlimited, how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a therapist that is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy 
for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S. So you want to make better decisions and you have a business. You have a business and you want to make better decisions in that business. You need some sort of key performance indicators, a system for measuring what you're up to, what you're doing, measurable values that demonstrate how effectively your company is achieving your key business objectives. That's a KPI. And I have a recommendation for you. It's called NetSuite. You should be using NetSuite. Here's here's why. So your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Every business that's doing well, even if it's just starting to kind of do well, it'll start to form some fissures here and there. Things you used to do in a day will start taking a week and you'll have all sorts of manual processes that just there's too many. You can't get to everything and you don't have one source of truth to make sense of it all to make those better decisions. If that's you, you should know about three numbers. These are three numbers you should know. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. That's a big number. 37,000. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. Streaming accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. 25? 25 years? 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. You don't want some sort of operation or app that's just made for whoever comes along. No, you get a customized solution for creating those KPIs that you need. One efficient system with one source of truth made for one business, your business. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. When you have everything you need in one place, all these biases, all these fallacies that I talk about on this program... It's an incredible way to apply everything you learn about making better decisions by having one source from which to pull your evidence, your information. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance for nothing, absolutely free. You just go to netsuite.com slash not so smart. You get it for free. That's NetSuite dot com slash not so smart to get your own KPI checklist. One more time, netsuite.com slash not so smart. And now we return to our program. I, so you, you go around with this. How did you get started on, on doing that? Well, um, I, I kind of have a weird journey where um, I started out originally doing stand-up comedy and then um, 
couldn't do that anymore. And so I was looking for a job where I could interact with the public. I'm a huge extrovert. And so I want to do that. And I ended up working at my local science museum. And I started out at first on the floor doing hands-on experiments and worked my way up to work in the planetarium and absolutely fell in love with that kind of interaction. But I started noticing that my favorite shows were the ones where it was a school field trip Mm. and kids would come in and I, for some reason, was just captivating to them. And I thought, wow, this is great. I'm doing something important. And then I started realizing that the only kids that can come to the science museum are kids that live near a science museum. And I thought, you know, I think every kid deserves to sit in a planetarium and be surrounded 360 degrees by space and have their curiosity about science ignited. And so I decided to get my own portable planetarium and travel to places where kids don't have the opportunity to get that kind of interaction. And even though I am totally educated in astronomy and I totally understand all of the concepts and, you know, I go to the show and I, it was pretty predictable what they were going to say and what they were going to do because that's what I do for a job. It was still really emotionally moving to me to be in a planetarium as an audience member. And um, I think if people are listening and they haven't been to a planetarium and they get a chance to go to one one day, you should absolutely do it. I feel like it's life-changing. So what about flat earthers? How did you start meeting with people who don't believe that the earth is a globe? I think that there there are a few reasons that um, I end up with flat earthers in my planetarium, just in general. Um, I do go to places where people don't have as much access to kind of talk to a scientist. Flat Earth is a new thing that they decided that they believed. And so I think a lot of them are still kind of trying to figure out, like, is this really real? And it's their way of trying almost to like bolster their own arguments. So they want to come in and talk to a scientist and lay out their facts so they can go back to their community and say, oh, I I had some really good questions that they couldn't answer. And so obviously we're right. Mm. Um, my kind of motivation for talking to them at first, when I worked at the brick and mortar planetarium, um, I almost saw them as like hecklers, mm. like, like I had when I did stand-up comedy. And so they would yell out, my shows are interactive, which is, you know, I tell people, if you want to ask a question, just shout it out in the show and I'll answer it right then because I just think it's more fun. And they would yell out something. And for a long time, I would treat them like hecklers. I would, um, you know, say something that would kind of take them down a peg, make them not want to speak up again. And um, that worked then. But when I'm coming into their town, I'm like, well, you know, I probably shouldn't do this because I'm outnumbered at this point. I don't have any institutional support you know, there's no manager to talk to. There's no way for me to redirect them to someone else if I really make them mad. Mm. Through trying to be respectful and not upset them, I figured out, like, the reasons that I thought that people believed in conspiracy theories and the real reasons they believe in conspiracy theories are two completely different things. I think that um, growing up, I had thought, People believed in conspiracy theories because they didn't know the truth or they didn't have access to the information 
or they they just didn't understand. I remember um, I'm a little bit older, so I was in um, upper junior high, lower middle school when the internet started being a thing. We had like AOL. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be the end conspiracy theories because people will be able to just look things up from a reputable place um, and they will get the right information and they will know better. And the future is going to be amazing because everybody's going to be on the same page scientifically and we're going to have so many advances. And then that didn't happen. And I don't know why it took me talking to actual conspiracy theorists to make the connection that it was not that they didn't have the information or that they didn't know how to find the information. Um, that the reasons they believe in conspiracies often have nothing to do with what the truth really is. And so trying to interact with them in a way where you say, okay, well, that's dumb and let me debunk that for you is not actually productive. It can be cathartic to think, oh, I'm going to dunk on this guy and I'm going to make him look real embarrassed in front of everyone because he said something that I, that I know to be untrue. But I'm not sure that dunking on people is the most productive way to handle this one-on-one. And I know it's not the most effective way to handle this in the sense that our society is having major problems due to the fact that we all are not living in the same reality. And I don't see a path forward where we're just bullying people and excluding them because the further they get away from good information, the easier it is for them to get enmeshed into something that's really dangerous to us as a society. Well, it seems to me like you have a stepwise method. I'm sure it's very nuanced and people are very complex and it can go all sorts of different ways, but you say that they, they often want to convert you. That seems to be their, one of their major motivations. And so you ask a question up front to see what kind of flat earther they are so you can get out of that frame. What is the question you usually ask up front or how does it usually start out? Um, so I, I usually, just to protect my own kind of platform, for lack of a better word, I do try to separate them out from the group to talk to them privately um, because I don't want those ideas expressed in front of a bunch of people who may see us in that moment as equals. Um, there, We have a huge problem with people trying to say there's both sides to everything. And so when you put yourself in a position where you're debating a nonsense idea, you're almost putting yourself on the same level with them. And the people who are watching are going to side with whoever's more charismatic in that moment. And even on my best day, um, there could be someone more charismatic than me. And I don't want to give that control to them. I don't want them to come out and just be more shiny and somebody in that room get bamboozled by it. I feel like that would be irresponsible on my part. So I take them aside and um, I say, so you believe in the flat earth? I'm just trying to like piece this together. Can you tell me um, how far away is the sun? And um, 
if they don't have a number or they say, well, I'm not really sure, or we don't really know. I just know the earth is flat and that's, that's just the way it is. And I don't know why you're asking me about the sun. They start to get really defensive about that. Typically that person has been raised or believes religiously that the earth is flat. I tend to leave those people alone. Um, They're not always out on the internet trying to get YouTube clout, trying to make, um, trying to spread the idea. This is just something they believe. It's a problem that they believe it, sure, but I, I don't think it contributes to a societal problem. And I also don't think that it's my place to get into people's beliefs religiously or or culturally or anything like that. Um, I just don't feel like that's my place. If they have a specific number, I can ask them, where did you get that number? And 99% of the time, they'll tell me exactly which YouTuber they heard it from. And that's a whole different ball of wax. The way I envision kind of conspiracy theory believers is that they're on a highway. There's an on-ramp of the first conspiracy they, they heard that they believed, but then they get into traffic and the algorithms on social media will continue to feed them whatever they've been eating. And so as they're watching conspiracy video for Flat Earth, that person may also hold another conspiracy they believe and that'll branch off. The more enmeshed in traffic they get and the more of these conspiracy theories they start to collect up, the harder it is to get them on that off-ramp, to get them back to kind of a shared reality where we all kind of understand the earth is not flat. Um, those are those are the people I wanna that I want to talk to because a lot of times flat earth these days, especially with young people, that was how they got on the conspiracy highway. And if I can if I can break that for them, if I can get them to question that, if I can give them any kind of toolbox that they can take back out with them to say, how do I evaluate this claim? Who said this? What is their motivation for this? What do I what can I look up that conflicts with their claim of what their reality is? If I can send them away with that, I find out that a lot of times Um, because I'll keep in contact with these people, that they start to back away with it. Once they have a toolbox where they feel empowered to question things, then you want to redirect that questioning towards asking good questions. Who are you? Why are you saying this? What is your evidence? How does your model work and why does it conflict with this scientific model that works and how come your model can't work on where the sun and moon go and on like how gravity works why is your model so jumbled if you can give them that motivation and those tools to do that what I found is a lot of these people do want to question things and they do want to know things and they do want to feel like the smartest person in the room but they were never given the education and critical thinking to be empowered to go that in depth with things. And I found that some of the people that I talked to, especially if they were really early on it, you know, they only believed that the earth was flat for a year or two. 
they actually turn around and they'll change and start being those people that want to reach out and, and debunk. And I'm like, guys, I didn't debunk this for you. That's not how that worked. If you want to get people out of this, you're going to have to do what I did and build a conversation and build a relationship so that people feel like they can talk to you and feel like you're not going to humiliate them and you're not going to make them feel like they're not intelligent. And I, I do it because it's effective. I don't know that it's the right way to do it or it's the only way to do it, but it's a way that I have found that works. There's a question you ask. You, you mentioned, have you ever been told something that you later found out to be untrue? Tell me a little bit about that question. Okay, so um, a lot of times what I find kind of works is letting people tell me something about themselves that lets them demonstrate that they are um, a reasonable person, um, an intelligent person, a thinking person. And um, most of these people are, despite what I was taught to believe about them, pretty reasonable, normal people most of the time, especially the ones that have just glommed on to this recently. Um, most aspects of their life, they're a normal person. You would never know that they were a flat earther except that they wanted to tell you. Um, and so I want to key into that. I want to key into that feeling that they have about being right. But I want them to associate that feeling with actually being right and not just being aggressively yelling things they heard on YouTube at me. Um, so I want to give them an example to demonstrate that. So they feel like we're more on equal ground. And so I'll ask, is there anything like, because they, they feel that flat earth was something that they were told the earth was round and now they found out it's not true. And so they associate that feeling of, oh, I know something now with, I think, the wrong kind of information. So I want to pull them back to that feeling for them to be able to demonstrate to me that, yes, they can think things through because it makes the conversation go a little smoother. So I'll say, is there something that's not related to flat earth, anything else that you learned and you later found out it wasn't true? I get a lot of really good answers. I had a guy the other day, he said, yeah, um, I grew up and my parents were really racist and they said that you shouldn't be friends with anyone if they're not in your race because they're always looking for an edge to take over. And he goes, but, you know, I work out at the chicken factory now and, you know, I'm one of the only white guys and I'm friends with everyone at work and they're not looking to take anything from me and they're not looking to hurt me. They're just like everyone else. They just want to go to work and, you know, take care of their families and hang out with their friends and go fishing. And he goes, so it was so wrong for my parents to teach me that because I missed out on so many good things by just believing what they told me and not actually going out and experiencing it for myself. And I thought that was such a good answer. And I said, do you think that maybe one of the reasons you believe on flat earth is because you feel like you can't prove by yourself that the earth is not flat. And he said, yeah, I think, I think it is. 
And I said, okay, what what would you feel like if you gave me your email and I sent you some experiments that you can do at home with things that you have at home that can help you understand the circumference of the earth that can help you calculate that. I can give you two or three ways to calculate it and the instructions and everything. And if you have a problem, you can, you can call me and I'll video chat you through it. We'll do it together. And he said, yeah, I think that actually would help if I had some way to test it myself. And I thought it can't be that easy. You know, like it can't be that easy to say here, I have the tools to answer the question that you have, but I'm going to let you answer it yourself. And I don't know what's going to happen to that guy. I don't know if that was effective yet, but I think it was a positive conversation. And I try to make every conversation I have with these people that they feel better after they leave than they did going in that they felt nervous going in. They felt maybe I was going to make fun of them or call them names or humiliate them or try to trap them into saying something. And, and then they go out of the conversation and they say, you know, I felt like that was a pretty equitable conversation. I felt like Joey listened to me. I felt like I listened to Joey. I felt like we were respectful. And now I have kind of an assignment that I'm a little bit excited about. And so that's my goal, really, is not to kind of get them in one conversation where I talk over them and I explain everything and then say, oh, well, they'll either get it or they won't, their problem. I want to build a conversation where they want to talk to me again, because you're not going to be very successful with a tweet you, you know, you're never going to de-radicalize somebody by being snarky to them on Twitter and then walking away. Um, and I, I know some people, they that's not their goal. They just want to be snarky on Twitter. And I just don't think it's productive but um, to the goals that I have. So I don't do it. There's a, a, no, a sort of a last case here, which is people who are extra resistant people who would be uh if, you, if you've made a bell curve of this they're on the far end and you have this thing about making a deal with them this is the most exciting part of all of this to me because i have been in these situations they want to show me youtube videos and i want to show them youtube videos and i reach that part of the conversation i often feel like i've that i've reached the the area where nothing good is going to happen but you have an approach that i really think is is worth looking at here Tell me a little bit about this exchange of books and ideas part of the conversation. So um, I typically, I'll do this with everyone, but I really, I really try to get it into those conversations when I've decided that somebody is um, interacting in bad faith. When I decide that somebody has come into the planetarium because they want an anecdote to go back to their community with, right? Um, you know, they they'll have a conversation with me. They'll feel like they won and then they'll go back and they'll tell some story, you know, and that young man was Einstein and everybody clapped and the barista <laughs> gave me $150. Like they want to go back and do that. And, you know, I'm aware of that and it's going to happen. And I I'm like, okay, that's funny. I'm a meme now, whatever. But um, I, I will tell them, 
You know, I a lot of the things you're saying, I'm not super familiar with. That sometimes is true. Sometimes it's just, um, you know, a way to start in with. Do you do you have a book or something that you feel like um, would explain this to me? Because I would like to read that, but I would like to make you a deal. I will read up to one of your books, or I will watch two YouTube videos if they're not longer than an hour each. But I would like to suggest a book to you. Can we make that trade? If you send me some of your info, can I send you some of mine? Now, here's the trick is you say, I want to talk to you about your book after I've read it. Can I get your email? And can um, can can I give you my email? I would like to know what you thought about the book that I sent you. They will absolutely take that deal. They Because they think they're hooking me in or they think that they're going to read the book that I gave them and they're going to debunk it. And then they're going to have another and that young man was Albert Einstein and the $150 barista gift. They want to do it. The deal is, though, the book that I suggest, I think is some of the best science communication I have ever seen regarding critical thinking. And one of the things I really love about Carl Sagan's book is if they read the first two pages of it and they decide this sucks and I'm not going to read the rest of it, those first two pages are excellent at implanting in their brain. What is evidence? How do I verify somebody's claim? What should I do if somebody makes a claim and I can't verify it and there's no evidence of it? Immediately, even if they don't believe that, even if they're not going to read my book and they just email me back and say it's horrible, that is planted a seed in them. So I would I would say if somebody is going to make this deal with someone, go find the very best example of communicating the idea you're trying to communicate to them that you can find. And it may not be something that that is new or something that you've done or something from your favorite YouTuber. You may have to go hunt for it and continually be looking for better and better examples of science communication um, that is kind of sorted into lean information that they can digest quickly and understand. The book you're talking about is The Demon Haunted World? Yeah. Yes. It's great. the best. And, uh, I have gifted that a few times, but I've never thought about gifting it to somebody as one of these exchanges. And I love the idea of the exchange because uh, clearly they think they're right and you're wrong. And this is an opportunity to also be validated, feel heard, be respected, and enter into a dynamic where you're collaborating on trying to discover what is and is not the truth. I think this is fantastic. Uh, let me ask you a strange question. When did you first read The Demon Haunted World? How old were you? I was, um, I read it when it was new. I actually grew up super fundamentalist Christian. Um, my parents believed every John Birch Society kind of thing that there was. And I thought that was the truth. Um, and then when I got in middle school, we lived within walking distance of a public library. My house was loud. Um, and I wanted it not to be loud, so I would walk to the library. I had no idea what I was looking for at the library, and I told the librarian that. I said, you know, I'm 
my parents are very religious. I'm really not allowed to read most books. Um, I don't know what I'm allowed to read. I don't know how to find anything. And she said, you know, we're not going to narc on you to your parents. You can come up here and read whatever. If you can't take it home, you can read it here. And she said, what are you interested in? And I said, I have no idea. I, I like I like astronomy. I like space. Are there books about that? And she said, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I started like reading so many things and um, she, I came in one day and she said, Hey, we got uh, Carl Sagan's new book. Do you want to read his new book? And I said, yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to read anything that he wrote. And um, that first little bit about, I have a dragon in my garage, um, but you can't see it because it's invisible and you can't feel the heat because his fire has no heat. And how about that? That's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense to have fire that has no heat. And I started to think like a lot of the things my parents told me actually don't make sense. It it doesn't make sense to me that you can't read books where animals talk in them because it would make you think animals talk. I know animals don't talk. Like, why don't they want me to read those books? That can't be the reason. And I think that because it got me from a place where I believed a lot of misinformation to a place where I can critically judge any information that comes across my path. And I can go through and try to figure out, is this true? Why is it true? How do they know it's true? What did they do to find this out? I think it really impacted my entire life path. If I wouldn't have read that book, I probably, my parents wanted to marry me off at 15. I'd probably have 25 kids right now and live in a house with no running water. And I would have thought it was fine. And I think that's why I have empathy um, for, for people that get kind of taken off of off of the path of reality and they they get sidetracked by these things because I know that it's not great for them. And I I want them to get back on a path that can be good. But not all of them are going to walk into the library and tell the librarian, I have no idea what I want to read. What do you recommend? The librarian acted like that was not a thing people do. So I, it's possibly not a popular way to find things out, but <laughs> I want to I want to help people find things that that maybe they're not looking for, maybe they don't even know to look for them. You can find Joy Rodman on Twitter at Okie Space Queen. That's O-K-I-E Space Queen on Twitter. And at the Oklahoma City Free Press, you can also find the planetarium at okiespace.com. And you can help Joey buy a new projector for that planetarium. Donations help them visit schools for free at reduced costs. And the portable planetarium lets kids have a field trip with no teachers, no bus, no chaperones, no packed lunch, no permission slips, 
and no day of teaching lost. That's all Joey's words right there. Go to ko-fi.com slash okiespace. That's ko-fi.com slash okiespace to help fund a new projector for the planetarium. That is it for this episode of the You're Not So Smart podcast. For links to everything that we talked about, including that nice Twitter thread, go to youarenotsosmart.com. For all the past episodes, go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Omni, Spotify, or youarenotsosmart.com. Follow me on Twitter at David McCraney. Follow the show at NotSmartBlog. We're also on Facebook slash YouAreNotSoSmart. And if you'd like to support this operation, help make it better, help pay for transcription and other features, go to Patreon.com slash YouAreNotSoSmart. Pitching in at any amount gets you the show ad-free, but the higher amounts gets you posters and t-shirts and signed books and other stuff. The opening music, that's Clash by Caravan Palace. This music comes from Incompetech. Tell everyone you know about this show. That's the easiest way to support it. If something has meant something to you, it's given you value in your life. If you've shared it with others, share it on social media with a link back. I'd really appreciate that. And check back in two weeks for a fresh new episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.